Unicorn, a person or thing that is highly valued. Experience, an occurrence or event that leaves an impression on you. Everyone has a story that is unique to them. Get ready to look into the soul of someone through their eyes. Get ready for the unicorn experience. Welcome to your fortress. My name is Shadowside. Nice to meet you. This is the first episode of the Unicorn Experience. Um, after this, I will be interviewing other people, asking them about things that are peculiar to them, about their childhood, if they're open enough, their name, if not open enough, their identity. I'll be asking them the craziest thing they've ever experienced. And uh, it'll be a getting to know you between me, them, and you in our Fortress of Solitude. Today, on this first episode, before we dive into anybody, I always felt when I watched Star Trek that I would always have respected a captain that dived in with his team. So before any of my crew members dive in, I'm gonna dive in first. So what is my name and identity? My name is Shadowside. I was born in the Bay Area of California, a city called Vallejo. Um, I was born in 1979, at the tail end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. My childhood was interesting. Um, it's funny how as you get older, you don't realize how unstable your childhood actually was. But growing up in that environment, it felt stable. It felt safe. It felt fun. But it was also full of fear. I didn't realize how poor I was, um, how bad a father my dad was. Um, I didn't realize how violent and how ghetto the street I lived on was. I would go out to ride my bike with my father. I have a twin brother too. So a lot of times it was me, him, my father. I'd gotten used to the screaming and the hitting, the fights. It's funny how the human psyche is able to rationalize and soften the blows that you face as you go day to day. But I did. And um, maybe that was my way of protecting myself. But uh, a lot of times, you know, we'd, I'd go out the house and I would see a lot of people walking up and down, um, ladies standing on street corners. I, I didn't know what they did. I knew they were working. I'd see guys walking around, shaking hands and passing objects between their hands and money between the other. I didn't know what was going on. It was 1983 or 84. I had to be about four 
So I didn't know how dangerous my neighborhood was. Um, But life went on. It was very day-to-day. I remember there were some... I guess one of the things that really stuck out to me was the moments of calm in between the moments of extreme fear. And uh, (laughs) the uh, usher for my fear was my father. So my dad was this old school guy from the Philippines. And uh, he was a mechanic, a very good mechanic, but he worked odd jobs. And he smoked. I remember him coming home in his mechanic suit and uh, his hair was peppery, I believe it was pepper, black and gray. But he, he would he'd come home smelling like cigarettes and beer. And he would come home whenever, but evening time. I, I felt this anxiety. I hear his footsteps coming up the steps and um, the door would open, I'd smell the beer. I can think of a few instances. I remember one time he came home smelling like beer and he was so drunk. He fell on the ground, threw up. And it was the first time, I had to be about four years old, it was the first time I smelled vomit. It was the most disgusting smell. And it made me want to vomit. And I saw it, there were chunks of something and beer on the ground. And he was laying on the ground. I was, it was a mixture of fear and repulsion. I was looking for help. I think my brother was freaking out. I had two older sisters at the time, and they're still alive. Um, one of my second to the oldest sister is not doing so good health wise right now. Um, she is on dialysis, and um, she's not doing too good. She's maybe got a few years left in her. But back then, uh, my brother and I were both four, they're 12 to 13 years older than us, so maybe we're two. Um, but they were anywhere between 15 and 16, something along those lines. So anyways, um, back to the beer incident. I just remember looking for help. I was looking around at my oldest sister. She was amazing. She always looked out for me. So I looked to her for help and my mom, as stable as my mom was, she was a rock. But when my dad came into the room, my dad was an earthquake. He could shatter her foundation. And for some reason, my oldest sister, she was, she was like a compass. She was like a, a light, like a, like a light tower for a plane. You know, if that's even the right term. But for some reason, she centered everything. So if I remember correctly, I think they all picked my dad up, my sister, was cleaning the vomit up. I was sitting on the couches all freaked out. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of my memories. Uh, one of my other craziest second memories was my dad coming home, smelling like beer again. And uh, I don't remember everything clearly. I don't remember if my mom cooked for him and he got mad and threw the frying pan. I just remember him decking her. He was wailing on her. 
I was, I remember I had to be about one and a half. My memories go back really early. I can remember myself getting bathed in a sink. But I had to be about one and a half. He had her pinned to the ground. He was wailing on her. And I've always been, there's that saying in the movies, they say, there was a movie I watched called Project, Shad- Project Shadow Chaser. And the bad guy in there says to the hero, it's, the hero's played by Martin Cove. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, you guys probably saw him if you watched Cobra Kai. He's John Kreese, also in the Karate Kid movies. The, he played a good guy in that movie, which was pretty rare. I knew he played a good guy in The Incredible Hulk, but he played a good guy in this movie. And uh, the bad guy in there was kind of like a blonde-haired Terminator. But I think there's a scene where he either sees Martin Cove or another guy, and he says... You're either a hero or an idiot. Because heroes run, run, because a hero would run to the gunfire or an idiot would run the wrong, run the wrong direction. I believe that's what he said. I was one and a half, so I like to say I was a hero. I always wanted to be a superhero, but when I saw my dad wailing on my mom, I didn't run away in fear. I didn't hide behind my sister. I actually ran, jumped on my dad's neck, and tried to choke him. I was in diapers. I had big ringlet curls in my hair. And I remember him stopping, putting me down, and stopping his attack on my mom. My first superhero event. I saved my mom. That was probably my first unicorn experience and the third thing I remember crazy was the day my mom and dad divorced we were still in Vallejo my dad went nuts again he was usually drunk when he went nuts he uh, was mad he had a machine gun I don't know what they're called but I, I, I'm not a gun guy, but the, the the part of the gun where you shoot out of the barrel, I think, had like a like a waffling, like a it had like a thing around it that had a bunch of holes, and he put it to her neck, and she was crying and screaming on the couch, and I was screaming too. It was my oldest sister. I love her to death. To this day, we're still really close, and uh, I just remember screaming. And my mom came out and all of us, I don't remember how it stopped. I don't. And uh, that was it. I think that was, that was it. My mom had it. And she, um, the next thing I remember is a phone call being made. And to me, it felt like two days later, it could have been a little longer. But <clears throat> forgive me, I to clear my throat here. She filed for divorce. And not too shortly after, we we're moving to Sacramento. So I've been in Sacramento since 1984. And uh, we got here when I was five. So that kind of dates me age-wise. Um, I have a lot more stories to tell. And I don't know if I want to use all the time right now to tell them all. Because there's a lot things you wouldn't believe. Um, but um, we're going to move on and save the rest of my childhood stories 
for another time that I don't have someone to interview. (laughs) So what I do for a living, I've done all kinds of things for a living, but I'm going to tell you what I actively do now. I'm a pest control technician. I kill bugs for a living. Um, I mix poisons. (laughs) I poison things. I'm paid to kill things. Never thought I'd be doing that for a living. Um, my earliest memories, I've always been afraid of things with more legs than the family dog or family cat. So to look at myself now, um, getting up in the morning, I get up early in the morning, I wake up at five, get my exercise in. That's a whole other story. I'll get into how I became an exercise fanatic another time. Um, but I get up in the morning, hit my exercise. Um, I... I'm a pretty religious guy too, so I take care of my, I say my prayers in the morning, read my Bible. And then I make my cup of coffee, make my, pack my lunch, and I head out. So I go in my truck, and just to think that 15 times a day for about 30 minutes, I get out. And I never really know what I'm walking into. Is it spiders, ants, cockroaches? Uh, lately we've been hit by this invasion, of, they call them Turkestan cockroaches. They are, uh, apparently there's someone's pet feeder roach who got loose, but hey, you know, love is in the air. A male and a female one got together, and now they're all over. In fact, there's an article. I think they're all over San Francisco right now. But hey, San Francisco's always been full of people that are single and ready to mingle, and I guess cockroaches aren't excluded. So that's what I do for a living. I'm a pest control technician. It's not something you, um, you know, when you're in school and they say, hey, what do you want to be? And you grow up. Nobody says they want to be a pest control technician. And uh, I remember that when I first got the job, the first guy that hired me said, we all kind of fall into this. So we're looking for something. And it seems to be a, a pit that I fell into that for some reason I got comfortable in. And I make pretty decent money. It's not bad. Um, it's not boring extremely stressful in the heat but I feel like I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven I, I, I can really relate to the scene about the farmers where they talk about and I'm not going to word it exactly the way they worded it but you'll get the message they say a, a farmer wakes up worried and goes to sleep worried it's about his crops and all those things similar to that I wake up in the heat and go to sleep in the heat I wake up in the cold and go to sleep in the cold I'm always the dog at the door always exposed to the elements I guess it kind of toughens you a little bit but that's what I do for a living I'm a pest control technician. And well, as, as it progresses, you know, I can think of more things. This is a very free form show. It's just me talking, uh, allowing you to get to know me. I hope you're not bored. I love talking. And uh, I just don't have anyone to talk to right now, so I'm talking to you. <laughs> so the craziest thing that ever happened to me and my brother had to be about 1992. We were both teenagers, and our mom 
had uh, gone to Balehood, I think, to visit her sister who was moving, I think, to the Philippines or Guam. So we had just turned 13. And my mom had told my sisters and us, I'll be back this afternoon. Don't go anywhere. <clears throat> Forgive me. Don't go out anywhere. So my brother and I were, I don't think, I don't remember if we talked it out. We're in the room. We had some friends who lived across the street from us in this apartment complex. We lived in duplexes. We grew up in a duplex. So we, I guess we had talked about it. We decided we were going to go. And I think we even prepped ourselves for the conversation. Our two older sisters were home. And my oldest sister, she, we, my brother and I started getting dressed. I just, yeah, we're 13. I'd gotten my Punisher t-shirt. I'm a huge fan of Marvel's Punisher. So I put my Punisher t-shirt on. Roll the sleeves up. And we decide to walk over across the street to our friend's apartment. My sisters catch us as we're going out the door. And my oldest sister says, don't go out there. You remember what mom said. And if I remember correctly, I was the one smarting off to her. And I said, hey, we're 13 now. We're teenagers. You can't tell us what to do. She said, yes, I can. Mom left me in charge. I told her, you're not mom. And we left. So as we're going out the door, um, she said, something bad's going to happen to you guys because you're not listening. So we go out the door and we um, cross the street. I'm sorry, there's a car in the background. I'm recording in my garage now, guys. This is real gonzo, so forgive me. Um, so we cross the street go to the apartment and uh, we go to knock on their door so we walk up and they're not home something inside I had a bad feeling inside and there's this book that came out in the 90s called The Gift of Fear I definitely felt fear there was something in the air it smelled bad there was pressure in the air so to, to our disappointment they weren't home so my brother and I decided to start walking back it was only like a five five minute walk and As we're walking back, we both hear a guy yelling at us. And he, he yelled really loud, hey, you boys, come here. So we look over and we see, I very briefly see out of the corner of my eye, because I'm scared and a little surprised. There's this big, looks like a Latino guy calling us over to his car. I hear my brother just say, it was, it was the urgency in his voice that set a fire to my feet. My brother said, run! So we ran, we ran. I just ran as fast as I could. He started, so I was behind him. So we run through the iron gate, we're booking it. Like I said, it's only five minutes away, so I think we make, make it to my backyard in about two and a half, <laughs> two and a half, maybe three minutes. We make it into our backyard because we purposely left the gate unlocked. And we hear this explosion, like the uh, the wood explode off our gate. And I look back, and there's this big, muscle-bound Latino guy behind us. He has slick back hair, he had a mustache, um, 
he had a pink you know in the 80s a lot of guys wore pink sometimes so he had a pink like a muscle beach type tank top pink running shorts and white tennis shoes so he's standing back there with us my sister my oldest sister hears us screaming she jumps out the back door she was scaling fish that's what she was doing before we left this whole thing had not taken that long so she's scaling fish and jumps out and yells at the guy who are you what are you doing here the guy proceeds to yell at her and say i want those boys at my apartment right now so my brother and I, we're screaming we're probably it sounds like we're speaking in tongues my sister says to him what do you want with them those boys stole my tools that was a lie we never went near his truck the second thing he says is those boys flipped me off now i don't remember what my sister said exactly but if i remember correctly she said i don't care what they did get out of my backyard so mind you my sister's 5 foot 4 attractive small um medium built filipino girl in a night shirt a nightgown sorry not a nighty but you know like the kind of nightgowns you sleep in 80 style with probably you know long sleeves and she walks him out of the backyard with a knife in her hand so we kind of she see her escorting him out we're looking we kind of lean out and look and this guy's walking like with a limp or some kind of sway in his hips i don't know what his deal was but i'm going to call child predator gay child predator <laughs> um to this day that's what i positive he was so he goes back and the next two weeks are one of the most stressful next two weeks in our lives so my dad by this time we we're in sacramento don't get me wrong my dad was really abusive but i love him great man I actually have his ashes in a bullet urn i take traveling with me i always wanted to spend time with my dad so i do it that way sounds kind of morbid but that's how i do it um he died in 2012 that was natural causes but even though he was violent and abusive i i loved him because he protected us it was just the weirdest dichotomy of a relationship you know it's it's a it's a i don't know if dichotomy is even the right term but it's it's a weird duality of feelings being a, a child of abuse you, sometimes even though they're abusing you still love them because they're your parent right but that's a whole another topic we'll talk about later so we ended up telling my dad about it so one afternoon the two friends of our sonny and latif that we were visiting they come over to hang out with us and that guy we found out his name was paul when we nicknamed him prison break paul um prison break paul comes around in his car and parks across the street so he gets out of his car um he was a construction worker he was wearing an orange construction shirt blue jeans probably brown boots um he was leaning on the car with his sunglasses on just staring at us smiling so he comes to cross the street towards us we literally all four of us go running into my front door and uh comes spilling in. My dad was the kind of guy you did not want to interrupt while I was watching the news. So, we interrupt him. He gets out of his chair. He starts cussing in Tagalog and says, "What are you guys doing?" And we said, "It's the guy, dad. It's the guy." So, my dad 
had just come back. Well, he hadn't just come back, but he came back a few years ago. But he brought some home some really cool weapons from the Philippines. He bought himself this really cool butterfly knife, which I still have. It was a ivory bone handle. The clasp had three red rubies on it. Uh, it was a uh, real gold. Really expensive, beautiful knife. He grabbed the knife, gets out of his chair, sees the guy. He starts walking towards the guy. He <laughs> he spins the butterfly knife. Now, a little background on my dad. He was a combat judo expert. He was a he was a uh, in the in back home they used to call him Rick Karate after Ricky Dosan. If you guys know who that is. Um, anyways, he goes up to the guy, flicks his knife, flicks his knife open, and says, he calls him a derogatory name in Tagalog, and then says, not that the guy understood him, he says, what do you want with my sons? The guy says, nothing. <laughs> then my dad told the guy, you stay on your side of the street. Don't come near my boys, and next time I'll cut your neck. He said with a heavy accent, so it sounded more like this. Stay your side of the street, or next time I cut your neck. <laughs> so imagine, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie The Street Fighter uh, with uh, Sonny Chiba. Just imagine his voice mixed with uh, a little Mr. Miyagi, and that was, that was my dad's voice. So um, he stays on his side of the street. But then the next two weeks, like I said, this is about a month-long experience. So for the next two weeks, he, uh, we see him. He starts parking directly across the street, starts looking at us as much as he could. Um, he starts bringing around this young Hispanic guy, and he, that guy starts living in his apartment with him. His apartment was directly across the street from us upstairs, apartment number eight. Um, in the meantime, um, the boys that were with us, Sonny and Latif, had told their landlord who lived upstairs about what had happened. So the landlord, he was this really fiery little white guy that was half bald, did taekwondo. I really, I really liked him. His name was Bill. He'd always come by and talk, and he was always cussing all the time. He was one of those little skinny white guys with half bald. You just wouldn't expect to have a dirty mouth, but he was a funny guy. So we tell him about it, and he says, okay, I'll keep an eye out for that guy. So in the meantime, prison break, Paul and this young guy, you see, we see him come to work together, leave for work together, come back. Could have been his little brother, could have been his boyfriend, I don't know. Over the last two weeks, we start seeing prison break, Paul um, loading the trunk of his car with these black garbage bags full of something. So he's throwing them in, throwing them, throwing them in. One day he leaves, and we don't see his car for a while. So my brother and I are wondering, what happened to this guy? You know, what's going on? Um, the manager, Bill, I guess, went to collect rent because he had not heard from the guy. I guess the guy skipped out on his rent. He unlocked the door, went in there, and found fake police uniforms, fake badges. Um, and then for the next week, week and a half, my brother and I are watching the news, the local news, and we hear about this guy who had been trying to lure children into his car with a fake police uniform and a fake badge. And we never saw him again, but that is the end of one of the crazy experiences I've had. Um, what led us to that experience was being stupid teenagers. So if there's any advice I can give anyone that's young and teenagers listening to this, 
Listen to your parents, man. They've been alive a long time. There's a reason they've been alive a long time. Because they know better. And I don't care if you guys think that we don't have it, we're not with it, we don't understand. Guess what? We do. Um, and how has it changed me? My head's always on a swivel. Um, I have a fascination with true crime. Every case I listen to of a disappearance of somebody, I'm glued to the television. Um, serial killers, I'm glued to it. Um, there was a time where there was like these men that were going around the Natomas area trying to pick up young boys. I was glued to that. One of them almost grabbed one on the street in front of the apartment complex I lived in. I, was, I started walking my sons to school. Um, I ended up getting into the security field. Um, I ended up training in martial arts. You know, I, I don't train as much as I used to now. I, I still work out, do solo training. Um, I've definitely changed from more of a sport martial artist to self-defense. I love self-defense, but that's a whole other story. Um, but it's changed me in the sense that I feel like I'm always preparing for the next, you know, bad thing to happen. I guess it's not a bad thing, right, to be forever vigilant. So that was my unicorn experience, guys. Something that will most likely probably never happen again. And it was a very, very rare one-time experience that I'm glad I did not catch or get caught. But thank you for spending time with me today. I thank you for listening. You've truly, truly helped me um, have that window. You truly helped me feel safe in this fortress. All right, guys. Till next time. Till the next unicorn experience. Thank you.